Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 18,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hi, we're glad you're listening. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and we're talking about stress sensitivity among employees, which can, if left unaddressed, lead to substance use disorders and other behavioral health issues. We've asked Paula Allen, Global Leader and Senior Vice President of Research and Client Insights for TELUS Health, to join us and elaborate on some of the comments she made during the 2023 DMEC Annual Conference. Paula participated in a panel discussion titled A Mental Health Culture Shift, Addressing It from the Top Down, which was of great interest to hundreds of absence and disability management professionals in attendance. So we're going to kick off here, and Paula, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, My first question for you is, while employers have invested more in employee mental health, panelists talked about a different type of investment that is needed today. Would you elaborate on how employers can approach employee mental health from a preventative vantage point? Yeah, absolutely, Heather. And it's it's great to have this conversation. I I, I think when people started to think about mental health before, it was generally about people with ill health. Uh, It was about people who were at risk of going on disability leave. It was about return to work from disability leave. And all of those things are still important things for us to attend to and to invest in and to optimize. Like that hasn't gone away. But there's more than that. There's a greater recognition right now that when you're talking about mental health, we're talking about an issue for the entire population. And one of the reasons why we're, we're recognizing this more is that number one, our collective mental health has changed and has been over you know quite a, quite some time over the past couple of decades so just like you know changes in our society and you know the ability to have cars and machines and things of that sort have really kind of impacted our physical health because we're doing things differently we're experiencing life a little bit differently and we have to be more conscious of taking care of our aerobic capacity and our physical stamina similarly Things have changed in our society that have impacted our mental health. You know, the the pace of change is extraordinary right now and is accelerating. And the human mind doesn't like change. You know, it it gives us a sense of things not being in control. It gives us a sense of anxiety. The other thing that has changed, and even the Surgeon General uh, from the United States has a couple of times actually come out with, with statements on this, we're becoming more isolated. And that's a very big deal because when you have social support, when you have 
deep connections with others. That's actually a buffer to day-to-day stresses and big stresses. So when we are feeling more isolated, that actually puts such a strain on us because we're not built like that as human beings. We are, we can't be isolated. You know, if you look at our history as human beings, if you were isolated before, if you were alone before, you know, you died, you know, you didn't have anybody around you to help you fight the elements, to help build housing or anything of that sort. So there's a natural anxiety. So we're not necessarily going to die now, but that anxiety is still there. So we've really seen an evolution in how employers are looking at mental health more along the continuum. And for very good reasons, our mental health has changed. One of the things that we hear and we know really is that mental health is a sensitive topic. A lot of people are wary about talking about this and asking about it, especially in the workplace. During the panel, you shared some thoughts about how employers can identify employees who are at, and I'm using air quotes here, high risk for substance use disorder and other behavioral health issues due to their sensitivity of stress. Would you share some details about how employers can do this, how how you can identify employees who might need help? Well, well, first of all, I, I wish it wasn't so sensitive. <laughs> I think I think um, it is sensitive because people really don't have a lot of knowledge. When you think about it, you and I didn't learn about mental health growing up in school. Like we we learned about dental hygiene and and things of that sort. We didn't learn about our mental health, so it's it's scary for a lot of people, and there's a lot of stigma around it. So I, I do think that there's an opportunity to kind of look at what organizations do from that point of view to sort of, you know, normalize conversations around mental health, not just illness, but also well-being. Uh, but answering your question very specifically around what managers uh, can do and identifying people, I, I don't think that we need to go out and kind of for people who are are struggling. Uh, I think what we have to do is to pay attention to what we actually do see. So uh, I'll give you a bit of an example. I think we're a lot smarter as human beings than we give ourselves credit for. A number of years ago, we did uh, a study uh, that asked managers when they first sort of had a sense that somebody might be going off on disability leave. You know, they had a sense that somebody is not coping well, that they've seen some changes that concern them. We were shocked to find that the length of time between when the manager first had that initial feeling and when the person actually went off on leave averaged out to be 18 months. 18 months. Wow. So, you know, people don't, people, people change over time. You know, you see signs of strain that happens, you know, in an, in an evolution. It doesn't, it's, it's really, you know, just flipping a switch. But what happened in those 18 months was really important because most often what happened was nothing. You know, people saw something not going right and they didn't know what to do. So they did nothing or they did things that were, you know, they intended to to be kind, but they actually weren't helpful. So I'll give you a common example. You see somebody who is struggling and you say, okay, well, you know, I feel I need to protect them. 
You know, I'm not going to give them difficult pro, uh, projects. I'm not going to put the same demands on them as someone as someone else. Um, I'm not, you know, going to go to them for ad- advice around things that are that are challenging. So you might think that that you're protecting that person from undue stress, but here's the issue: you've done that unilaterally without having a conversation with them. You have shown them that you have less confidence in them. You have changed their environment in a way that they don't understand. So what does that do? That increases their anxiety. You know, are they not valuable anymore? Are they about to be fired? So, you know, it's 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 so important to equip managers with with the skills and the words for how to step in. And it's not that hard. So number one is that managers should never be expected to become counselors. That's off the table, right? You stay within your role. You have a role as a support to that person in terms of their general well-being and their work, right? You're not there to provide therapy. You're not there to come up with questions, to come up with answers, to fix, fix problems that might have been developing for years. So being a counselor is kind of off the table. But what you do need to be is a human being. So just taking back the analogy between physical and mental health, if you see that somebody has fallen, you know, you see somebody is in pain, our natural human reaction is to go to them, you know, to say that you're you're concerned about them, to bring in help if 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 they if if they are okay with you bringing in help is not to fix them. Somebody falls off the ladder, you're not going to reset their their ankle, you know. But you're not going to leave them alone. You're not going to see someone in physical pain and just turn away. You're going to go to them. The same if you see somebody in any kind of anguish, you know, you want to show them that you care about them as a human being. You know, Jabob, I've seen certain changes. I'm concerned. I care about you. Is there anything that I can do to help? Is there any information that I can give you that might might help? The main part of that conversation is care, showing that you care about that person not leaving them isolated and sitting on the same side of the table as them and saying, you know, let's problem solve around this. Because as a manager, you could maybe have adjustments in in work, you know, but it involves the person. You're not doing it unilaterally. But most often, if you give that person information around EAP or some other service that's available to them, then you've done a lot. Now, there's one thing I want to just highlight in that what's really important there is showing that person that you care, but also being specific on why you're having the conversation. And the reason is you don't you want to you want to be specific about what you see. I noticed that you are not attending our socials any any longer. You're not going out to lunch with someone and with any of your colleagues. I've noticed that you were you've always been on time with your with your work and it's everything is a bit delayed right now and there's some more errors. Be specific about what you see because that helps people understand how the situation is showing up 
at work, which is important. Like it is a clarity and it's also not judgmental. You are not in a position to say, I think you have an alcohol problem. You are not in a position to say, I think you might be depressed. You're not. Because many things can cause the same behavior. People, even in physical pain, might show some angst that might show up as emo- emotional pain. It doesn't matter. You see, you say what you see, and you show that you care, and you help that person to the next step. And EAP is a wonderful next step because it not only deals with emotional issues, it can be the first, first platform for you know, childcare, legal, financial issues, health issues. It's not, it's not discriminatory in terms of the types of needs that's, that are serviced. I really liked what you said about paying more attention to what we do see. And I think for managers who are nervous about maybe overstepping to, to give the analogy of the physical issue, if someone is, has fallen, what you would do is really helpful. It is. And I, and I think, again, you know, the more people know about mental health, the less uncomfortable they will be. You know, it's, it's, there's so many reasons why, why somebody could have a mental health issue. Every single human being in this world has a vulnerability. And it just really depends on a number of factors coming together all at the same time that creates a problem as a result of that vulnerability. And it could happen to anyone. You know, it's not a matter of having, you know, excessive trauma in your life, although that is a factor. It's not a matter of just your genetics because you could have a genetic history, but you have different things that are actually protective around you. You know, when you think about it, 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 and it's it's not it's not sort of you know even though we want people to have self care there's certain things that are out of con- our control such as you know just like in cancer you know you you do what you need to do in order to have a healthy lifestyle to lower your risk but that doesn't eliminate your risk and even if you have a risk your risk is not destiny so all that means is that as human beings there is not one single person that doesn't have a level of mental health risk. The thing is that we only know that we have that kind of risk often, often, often we don't know until it shows itself in a problem. I'm wondering if there is one employee cohort that is at a higher risk for the stress-induced issues that you've you've been talking a little bit about and how employers can have a positive influence on them. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that in, in two parts. Um, if you recall what I, I mentioned before about society just changing, you know, we're more isolated, the pace of changes is, is, is quicker. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that are happening that are more intense with younger cohorts than older co- cohorts because they've come into this fast pace. They've come into this environment uh, that is more, more isolated, and we've seen that in our numbers. So at TELUS Health, we produce a mental health index, and that looks at the mental health and well-being of the working population. So what we're able to do is to say, you know, we, the population is in a good place and not a good place. It's going, things are getting better, things are getting worse. 
Uh, but we're also able to look at the factors that do make a difference. And we're also able to slice and dice uh, by age cohorts and different, uh, different other cohorts. What's absolutely and positively clear in our data is that younger groups are have that greater sensitivity to stress. And it's absolutely explainable by changes in our society. We're not talking about people who are, uh, you know, weak in that kind of, you know, horrible uh, language that some 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 people use or, or overprivileged. And, and that's why they feel like it's not that at all. You know, it's not even about stigma. A lot of people say, well, we're seeing more things in the younger uh, younger populations because they have less stigma in talking about it. Well, I can tell you that stigma doesn't prevent people from having breakdowns that bring them to the hospital. Stigma doesn't prevent um, people from having, um, you know, you know, eating disorders and, and things of that sort. Like, it's not that. We are seeing more because things are different right now. If you ask anybody who is in a university or a high school or even an elementary school and has been working there for a number of years, they will tell you that there has been a change in the mental health of the younger population. So that's sort of one thing. But the other thing is that the entire population has been infected as well. So much more intensely if you're younger, but if you're older, you're not immune either. We had a major shift in our environment during the pandemic. And I know people don't necessarily want to talk about that anymore, but you have to play the ball where it is. It's still impacting us. Our mental health index has shown that there's an increase in sensitivity and in distress. There's an increase in the proportion of the, the working population that's high risk. And that went, that peaked during the pandemic, but has not gone anywhere back to where it was before. Like this is an ongoing issue. So with all the change, all the risk, all the vigilance that we had during that time, it really put us in a prolonged state of fight or flight. That prolonged state where you have that part of your brain that is responsible for self-protection and anxiety that, that leads to self-protection really being over-engaged. And the consequence of that is that the part of our brain that is responsible for rational thought, emotional control, and empathy really doesn't have as much energy going to it. So we've had this long period of time where we were vigilant and on edge and we're continuing to be on edge. Over 40% of us are more sensitive to stress than we were in 2019. And that shows up in how we relate to each other, more anger, more conflict, more cynicism, but it also creates some vulnerability for us as individuals. So not just our behavior, but vulnerability in terms of greater anxiety and 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 more likely to sort of you know get involved in behaviors that are not healthy. So so it's high risk drinking, et cetera. One of the comments you made during the conference was, and I'm quoting you here, the only thing that predicts defeat of an evolution is denial of it. And in relationship to the rapid pace of change in our lives and how that upheaval has affected mental health, I'm wondering, 
how can employers ensure they are on the right side of that evolution? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a really great point. So number one, we have to play the ball where it lay. We have to listen to this information. I mean, there, there's sometimes a tendency to say, well, I've, I've heard enough about mental health. I'm going to go on to something else. It's, it's, it's not like that. Like this isn't a topic that you think about once a, once a, a quarter or once a year. Or so. this this is the core of everything: your work productivity, your quality and and of, of of life, your physical health, your brain functioning, all of it is important and related to, 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 to mental health. So you cannot just put it to one side and say, I just don't want to think about it. And you can't deny the fact that there have been changes that, that increase the urgency from an employer's point of view to deal with it. There's two parts of what's important for employers to understand because there's two parts of this equation, just to simplify it. You know, one is the individual, you know, and how you can support individuals. You can support people by, you know, providing them with training and information and knowledge to address stigma. You can provide them with with, uh, resources and encouragement for self-care, continuum of services for, for when people really do get into trouble that they have that high quality support. So that individual support is super, super, super important, but it's not enough. The other part of mental health is your environment. So you have a personal environment, yes, but our work environment is a huge part of our life. So if you have a situation where you're feeling unsafe, you know, you feel that people are talking behind your back. You're feeling that if you say anything, you're, you know, the hammer's going to drop down on you. That psychological safety is hugely important because if you don't have that, then you're in a constant state of anxiety. You can't be productive. You can't move forward. And that anxiety can harm you. If you don't have a sense of belonging, you know, feeling that you are included, feeling that you are valued. You know, think about it if you if you are a child, right? You learn a lot from knowing what's good and what's not good for children. A child in a school where they have no sense of belonging, no matter what else is going right, is not going to do well. And that context is so important that we even have legislation in places like Australia that says, an employer has a responsibility to do no harm. And if there is anything in the organization that can create a sense of harm, if there is risk, you know, there, you know, people are isolated in terms of their work structure, uh, isolated in terms of behavior, they have work overload, so they can't possibly be successful. You know, they don't have any, any, anything that gives them a sense of recognition because we, we need that as human beings as well that if the organization is is moving counter to that and they're ignoring that, then they're going to be fined. Like there's legislation for that. So that's one end of the extreme, but it's actually being discussed in many other geographies as well. And I think it'll eventually be the norm. The good news is that we do have user's manuals. <laughs> we do have things like um, there's uh, several standards out there 
uh, there's an ISO standard. The International Labor Organization has come out with papers. And even our organization has thought this is so important for employers. We've developed something called the Workplace Strategy Index for Mental Health, which is a free tool. You can go online, wsi-mh.com really sort of do a self-assessment of your organization. So this is for organizational leaders, not individuals. Do an assessment and see where you stand relative to the practices that will support a mentally healthy workplace and get a score and get recommendations. So again, the individual support is important, but the organizational actions are important as well. And we can't just take them for granted because we have an organization with nice people. We have to make sure that we invest so we at least do no harm. That's a wonderful point, and I really appreciate you citing that tool. We will include the link for that as well as the mental health index that you mentioned in the notes section of the podcast. And I, I can't thank you enough for your time today and your willingness to share some great insights and guidance here about this incredibly important topic. Thank you. And thank you, Heather. It's, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and thanks for bringing the topic forward. Before ending this episode of the podcast, we'd like to encourage listeners to attend the 2024 DMEC Virtual Mental Health Conference on January 23rd and 25th. Recognizing the mental health crisis is one thing, taking actionable steps to improve the mental health of employees is another. This conference will help employers design successful mental health programs. Six content sessions will help employers build, implement, communicate, and audit programs. Roundtable discussions will provide the opportunity to network and learn from other absence and disability management professionals. And you will hear case studies from employer representatives who have seen positive returns on their investments. We've included the link in the notes section of this episode for more information as well as registration, and we hope to see you there.